the idea of becoming a missionary for me started in college. I had several professors in my classes who were former missionaries, and I was fascinated by their, their grasp on culture, how culture works, and just how the, word, the world works in general, having lived, having lived abroad, seen other cultures. And I was captivated by their stories of going to far off places and um, teaching the stories about Jesus to people, maybe for the first time, and how God would work in their lives in sometimes, I think, miraculous ways. And I thought to myself, here's someone who's really living out the Great Commission with their whole life. I was studying to be a pharmacist. And um, I dreamed then of somehow using that degree and that profession to um, share my faith and live out the Great Commission and make disciples. Jacqueline was on a similar path. She had gone on a medical mission trip um, at the age of about 18. And after that, she became convicted that what she needed to do with her life was become a medical missionary and go to places like Honduras and serve the underserved of the world. So after we got married and we're finishing our studies, we prayed a prayer, a very specific prayer that I, that I still remember. We said, God, this is, I mean, this is what you've given us. This is our passion. This is our career path. We want to use that for you, uh, wherever that might be in the world. So please show us the next step, what we need to do to do that. And he answered about two weeks later. Jacqueline's friend Katie um, said, I know you guys are thinking about missions. Um, why don't you come meet with this group of people that we've been meeting with and thinking about becoming missionaries and forming a team and, and doing something like that. Just come and eat tacos with us. There's no obligation. Just, just come meet these people. And we thought, okay, well, maybe this is God's answer to that prayer, so we've got to go. Um, and... Long story short, that, um, that group of folks did, we coalesced into a team, committed to each other as a team. Um, we started thinking together and, and praying and, and strategizing about where in the world we would go and what in the world we would do. Um, that's us right before we left for Peru. That was four families. Um, and we after several years of meeting together and, and, and planning and raising support, we found ourselves in a city of, called Arequipa in Peru. That's Arequipa right there. Arequipa is a, a city of a million people, a very urban environment. The population density is, I think, greater than that of New York City, so people just right on top of each other. Um, this is from downtown, sort of looking up towards the volcano called Misty, um, but the city's like that in a complete... 360-degree circle. You can see people living all the way up, right up onto the skirts of the, of the mountain there. Our vision was to sort of piggyback off of the work of some previous missionaries who were doing the same sort of thing that we wanted to do. They had a, a couple of small house churches that they had started. They had started a Christian nonprofit organization. So we thought, they're moving back. We'll kind of um, piggyback off of what what they've kind of done. That was our vision. 
Um, what I'd like to do today is sort of more of a, like a field report of some things I learned about mission work, about living a missional life. Um, and it'll be less like a typical sermon, I think, or maybe Bible study that we're um, used to hearing at this time. But I hope you'll excuse that um, break in tradition of the format. But I'd like to share some things that I learned that I think are really important. My aim is to help us as a church be more missional, be more evangelistic in our everyday lives, because we've all really been called to be missionaries, no matter what you do. If you, you consider yourself a disciple, Jesus has commissioned you to make other disciples, right? So in a sense, we are all missionaries. Um, and becoming a full-time missionary for a while, those five years in Peru, I, there were some shifts that happened in my thinking that were necessary for me to live a more missional life. So I'm going to talk about three of those sort of theological or sh just shifts in my thinking and how I think about certain things that um, help me become more missional. Because honestly, when, when we first got to Peru, I felt very under-equipped to do what we were supposed to do there. And I think I had to learn some of these things the hard way. So I'd like to share some of those things with you today. Uh, and maybe equip you in your daily lives with neighbors and co-workers and classmates and, and wherever your sphere of influence is that you can live maybe a, a more missional life. So the first thing I'd like to talk about, this first shift in my thinking was how I thought about the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the definite? How do you think about the gospel and what is that? Um, So this is the shift. The gospel became less about me and more about him. The word gospel means good news, and it's the good news about Jesus, right? That's what we read about in scripture. But I think the sort of American evangelical Christianity has turned the good news and has condensed it down to Maybe something like this. You are a sinner, and you are lost, and here's what you need to do to fix it. Get Jesus. Subtext. Or else, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not untrue, I don't think, but it's not news. Kind of not even really good. It's more like advice. It's more like good advice. But I don't think it's like news. So for me, as a full-time missionary, I started thinking, okay, well, how do I think about this as more like news? Because that's what it really is. Um, and I started to think of myself more as a storyteller, or maybe like a reporter. A reporter is someone who reports the news that happens, right? Um, and I started to think about myself less like a, a salesman with a, with a pitch like this where I've got to convince somebody that that they're wrong, so that then they can accept what I have to, to give them. Um, so thinking of the gospel as story or news changes how you share it, changes your approach to how you talk to people. Um, something interesting about story is that, just purely on a psychological level, when you tell a story, 
I think it's so potent, it's so powerful, because with a story, the hearer takes that and then has to sort of decide what that information, what that information means to them and how they are going to, what they're going to do with it, rather than me telling you what to do with it. The story, I think, is, is more potent. So with this, with this sort of um, way of sharing the gospel, I think it comes off more as like a sales pitch. And with a sales pitch, I think our guard sort of goes up, right? We think, okay, what are they selling? And how can I not get manipulated into doing something that maybe I'm not ready to do? But story works in a different way. So the practical implication of this for us, I think, is, you know, if all of us are missionaries, we just need to talk about Jesus more, tell the story more. Maybe that means getting familiar with the Gospels and, and, and the Scriptures a little bit better so that we can retell those stories, um, but getting comfortable with talking about Jesus. And if, you're, if you love Jesus and you admire Him a lot, that shines through, I think. And that is very winning, and it causes people to ask questions about, well, what does that mean for my life then? Um, one thing that we did in Peru when we first got there as a mission team, we, we did what we called the My Gospel exercise. So if we're here to share the gospel, what is the gospel? And we would actually, you know, take out a piece of paper and get a pen and say, well, I'm going to write down what the gospel is. What is the core of the gospel? What is this message that I'm here to that I'm here to share, and I, we tried to make it to where it was something like one or two minutes that we could memorize and, and be ready to share with someone. If they ask us, well, what do you believe, or what, do, what is your church like, or what is this religion thing all about? And so we did that, and that was sort of hard to really condense this really important story of Jesus that we have in the scripture and condense it all down into one or two minutes. That's, that's a hard exercise, but it really causes you to reflect. Well, what do I really believe about this story? And what is most important for me? And we did this, like I said, as a, as a mission team, those four families, we, we all did this, but then we did that as, as a church in Peru. And I've done this with um, one of our supporting congregations in, in Missouri. I've done this with college students, some of the interns that came down. So I've gotten to hear a lot of different people's gospel. And when we share that with each other, it's something interesting happens. Um, you get to hear other people's perspectives on the gospel. And the gospel is a big thing, right? But hearing everybody's different take on it, you say, oh, wow, I, I would have never said it that way. That's a really neat way. To, that's, that's cool that that's what struck you first when you first became a believer. And that's, that's what spoke to your heart. That's... It's a little bit different than mine, but that's okay. And you get to hear all these different perspectives on the gospel. And we, what happens is you, you get this more fully orbed, and I think more complete picture of what is the good news. Um, so that's what happened among us. And what happened was that got us more excited even to share it with others. Some people will focus, I think, just on the, um, what Jesus did to liberate us from sin. And that's a huge part of the gospel, no doubt. Others will focus on how he conquered the evil forces and how he conquered death and how he offers the world eternal life. 
Other people will focus on specific, maybe, parables that he told, like the prodigal son, how in the prodigal son, the father runs towards the son and welcomes him back. And what that reveals about God and God's character, that's good news. Other people tend to focus on, when they tell their gospel, they tend to focus on how Jesus ate with the, with the marginalized folks and how he um, was hung around the nobodies and how he served them and, and how if he's the king of the universe, that's good news. That's the kind of king that we all need. Um, others will focus maybe on how God launched his plan to recreate the world and the mess that we've made of it and how all that started with Jesus and how that's good news. So there's all these different angles that you can come at it from. I think Paul kind of did his, my gospel, and you can see it in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He's talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. I think that's Paul's attempt to kind of really condense it down. And this is what you, this is what I related to you, and this is what's most important about this gospel message. But in other places, so we have these four books in our in our Bible called the Gospel according to Matthew, the Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Luke and John. And what these books are is those four men's attempt to share what they thought was the whole story and what people needed to know about Jesus it's the gospel and it's it's about his it's about his birth it's about his life and his teachings and about his death and resurrection all of those things are gospel um, so I would encourage you to do the the my gospel thing if, if you think that would be good for you um, I got to share that with a lot of people in Peru I got to share a lot of taxi drivers would be sitting there and talking about the weather or whatever, and I'd, I'd slip in my gospel at, hey, our church did this thing where we're trying to write out what we think the gospel is. Can I share mine with you? And they'd always say, yeah, of course. And so I'd get to, to do my, my gospel with them. I got to speak to a group of diabetic patients, and it was maybe 50 people in the room, and I talked about you know, diabetes prevention and all this stuff, and at the end of it, I tacked on my gospel. And it was there's a bunch of old Catholic ladies, and they were like, yeah, yeah, we, we believe that. Um, it was handy to have that in my back pocket. There, I, I wouldn't say that necessarily there was anyone that, after I said it, they were kind of like, you know, here is water, what hindereth me from being baptized. But um, that's not to say it wasn't good to do, and it, it planted seeds all over the place. Another strategy that our team did use that I think... Um, maybe produce even more fruit, was we would just sit down and read the gospel with people. We, we chose Mark. And so if we had a relationship with somebody and, and we proposed to them, hey, you want to just read Mark together? They're always like, yeah, let's do it. Read it chapter by chapter. We'll do one chapter a week and it'll take 16 weeks. And I did see, and the cool thing about that is that's nothing I prepare. That's, that's the scripture. And you let the scripture do the work. All you have to do is facilitate it. They come over to my house, we'll read it, or let's go out for coffee and we'll read this chapter together. And the scripture, God's word itself, I think, speaks to them directly, that person, and does something supernatural 
So you don't even have to do much other than facilitate that. And we did see incredible things happen through reading the whole story. And Mark presents it in a, in a special way, I think, to kind of draw out from that person, okay, what, are, what am I going to do with this news? All right, I'm going to talk about the, the second shift that happened for me, and it has to do with evangelism. So if you had asked me before I was a missionary what image pops into my mind when I hear the word evangelism, I know what I would have said. I would have said door knocking and handing out Bible tracts. Okay, that's the first thing. That's maybe the only way I thought you could do evangelism. Um, but the shift was that evangelism became less about doors and more about tables. And here's what I mean by that. It became less about knocking on doors and more about eating with folks, sharing what we call you know, table fellowship. Um, now, some people have come to faith because someone was brave enough to knock on their door and share the gospel with them. I'm not knocking that, no pun intended. But um, the question for me was, what is the most effective form of evangelism in Arequipa, Peru in 2014 when we were there. And far and away, sharing meals with people is what gets you a relationship and builds trust. And those are, those are the two, I think, in my opinion, most important factors when you're talking about um, evangelism tactics. What is it that builds relationship and builds trust? And then we would maybe be able to do one of those Mark studies. And so, eating meals with people. A lot of people invited us over for lunch. In, in Peru, the, one of the delicacies was um, guinea pig. So I had to eat some guinea pig to, to get in with some folks, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> it was awful. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I think, you know, when someone knocks on my door, I know how, what my reaction is, right? Who, who knows I'm here? Uh, what are they selling? Or what kind of weird cult are they a part of? I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't think those things. But um, it, I'm probably not apt to build a relationship with that. And um, whereas sharing a meal with someone, it's a very universal expression of friendship and openness, I think sharing a meal together. One of our interns, we, we, we hosted college interns who wanted to do a missions internship, so um, they would come down and stay the summer with us and see what we did. And One of our interns, we were sitting down as sort of like a debriefing after the summer, and we were asking her, okay, what did you learn, and what did you observe, and what did you experience, and what she said uh, was, kind of thought we were going to do more evangelism, but it feels like all we did was eat with people. We were kind of like, well, we think that is evangelism. Um, but I think what she said sort of captures that, that shift that happened in my mind, too, uh, that evangelism became less about doors and more about tables. A guy named Marcus Barth, 
wrote a book, and in it he says, in approximately one-fifth of the sentences in Luke's Gospel and in Acts, meals play a conspicuous role. Wow, that's, that's tw- he's saying 20%, he's calculated this apparently, in 20% of the verses in Luke and Acts, there's a meal involved. It's in the context of a meal in some way. That's a, that's a big chunk. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus starts this sentence three separate times in three different places. He says, the Son of Man came. So he's talking about him, what he came to do, right? One of the times he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's from Mark ten forty-five. The second time he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Yeah, of course. You know what the third time is, though? He says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Apparently, this was, table fellowship was important to Jesus, and he was doing it so much that his critics latched onto that, and they said, this guy's a glutton and a drunkard. He's eating with all the wrong sorts of people, too. So obviously, Jesus was doing this so much, and I think the 12 that spent the three years with him before the crucifixion, I think if they knew how to do one thing, if they were equipped to do one thing in all that time, it was probably host a meal, right? We see that over and over and over in the Gospels. And it becomes, I mean, it becomes the central symbol of what Christians do and how we remember Jesus. This is the way he wanted to be remembered, with a meal, right? It was very important to Jesus. And so if If we're asking the question, what would Jesus do in terms of evangelism, I think it's have more dinner parties, right? And that's easy. We can all do that. We can all have people over. We can have our neighbors over and just share a meal with them. Now, it may require some intentional conversation, and you build that into it, that, you know, a chance to share what's important to you and talk about Jesus. Um, And even if you don't make a convert... You still make a friend. So it's kind of a win-win situation. All right. The, um, the third shift, third and final shift, that happened for me in my thinking about what does it mean to, to live a missional life has to do with discipleship. So we know and the scripture reading today was the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So I, I, even be, before coming, becoming a missionary, I knew this was the mission, right? Make disciples. So um, we were all about making disciples. And I think that word disciple is something different. It's not make converts, necessarily. It's, it's something deeper than that and richer than that. It's, I don't even think it's students. I like the translation apprentices for the word disciples because we're learning to do what Jesus did. So this is how the, you know, how do I get someone into that process of discipleship? This is the shift that happened for me. Discipleship became less about information and more about transformation. Less about information and more about transformation. What is 
the difference between the devil's theology and your theology. Here's the difference. His is better. He knows more. He knows more information than you. He knows Hebrew and Greek. He knows church history. He can quote more scriptures than you. Right? He quoted it flawlessly to Jesus when he was tempting him. But the devil hasn't been transformed by the love of God. So all the information in the world doesn't make you a disciple. The question is, how do you get transformed by the love of God? Jesus seemed to be maddest at the people who had the most information, right? The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees, he's always mad at them. They did have the most information, but they seemed to refuse to be transformed by it. So discipleship, this process of becoming a disciple and, and growing as a disciple, is not about the migration of knowledge from my brain to someone else's brain. Paul said knowledge puffs up, love builds up, right? How can we be transformed? I think part of the answer to that, and I'm still working on it, but um, what some people call the spiritual disciplines, right? So prayer, fasting, meditation, study of scripture, um, mourning, celebration, confession, service, all these things are, and in and of themselves, they don't bring us righteousness. What, what the spiritual disciplines do is they bring us before the living God in a posture of humility and teachability and readiness to be transformed, right? So it's not a checklist. It's not like to be a good Christian, you have to do all these things. These are just ways that Christians throughout history have figured out that it places them in a right place before God to be transformed. Okay? So, in summary, I think some practical steps um, that we could do to become a more missional church right where we are is maybe the, my gospel exercise. Maybe you want to do that. Get out pen and paper and just write something down. What is the gospel to you? I think that's, that's a helpful exercise. Have more people over for dinner. I think that's an easy thing to do, right? Work towards reading maybe the gospels with people. I recommend Mark. Mark's the shortest, and it, it calls for a response at the end of it, I think. Um, so maybe that dinner friendship turns into reading the the gospel together. And remember, you just have to facilitate it. Let the scripture do the work for you. And remember that transformation is the goal, not just information. Um, thank you for allowing me to speak today on some of these things that I, that I learned over the past five years. Um, and I think the invitation stands that uh, if anybody needs anything, if you need prayers or want to be baptized or anything like that, I think the elders are ready to um, help you with that while we uh, stand and sing here.